starting my 21st year in the classroom, which just is mind-boggling to me that I've been doing this um, for almost half my life, almost, um, 21 years. I, I remember my second year teaching, I was teaching sixth grade science, so I was 23 and teaching 12-year-olds, and um, man, middle school is a challenge. I grew to love it, but the first two years, it was a challenge. Um, it was September, and a kid, I was there early, you know, teachers have to get there before the kids, you can't have kids in the classroom without a teacher there, that would be terrible. So, I'm there early, the first student walks in, he said, Coach Knapp, Coach Knapp, I just heard on the radio that a plane flew into the World Trade Center. And I was like, what? Must have been like some kind of agricultural plane, or like, a, a, you know, just a private jet that just, guy fell asleep, or or lost control. That's crazy. I turned on the news, and man, within 10 minutes, second plane hits the other tower. Mind blown. I went and grabbed the other sixth grade teachers, and we all huddled up in my room. All the kids are starting to come in. We go through first period just watching it in awe. Even the kids at 12 years old are wide-eyed and just in shock. First tower falls. Chaos. Second tower falls, and I remember our, our, our headmaster came on the speaker and he said, we're going to finish the school day, we'll, we'll communicate with teachers and parents tonight about what the rest of the week holds. Were we going to war? What were, was the rest of the country going to be under attack? No one knew. If you're, I don't know, I guess 30 and up, if you're 30 and up, you probably have a similar story to mine. You remember right where you were, exactly what was going on, where you were, what was happening. If you're in your 20s, I don't know. You were probably seven or eight then. You might not. But you certainly know the outcome of September 11th, 2001. And I know that for the next week, I watched the news nonstop. So all I did was watch the news. And it was just a loop over and over again of those planes hitting the towers and the towers falling. But man, it was breaking news every day. And the reason I tell you that story is this. As I was, as I was studying this week, I was hit by this thought. We're reading from 1 Thessalonians. When these letters came to these churches, it was breaking news. I imagine that they ran and gathered the elders of the church and and the congregants, and they said, hey, hey, we got a letter from Paul. you got, you got to come and gather. we got to read this. we got to read this. Uh, have you ever thought about that they didn't have the New Testament? Like the people that were getting these letters, they didn't have the New Testament. It didn't exist. They were literally, the, the New Testament was literally being written as they were trying to navigate this new faith. And we take the Bible for granted. Um, Man, of all the peoples in the history of Christianity, 2,000 plus years, we have by far the greatest access to the Word of God. Really, that could, I can't even imagine us having more. I don't know how it would be possible for us to have more access to the Word of God. You can literally put in your earbuds and listen to it anytime you want to. You can go get commentaries, any kind of doctrine book, anything you want you can get your hands on right now, right now, right this instant. Boop, 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 sent. You got it. And I think about how we take that for granted. Um, short history lesson, 
most of Christians didn't have a Bible. Most of Christians historically didn't have a Bible. Um, the Reformation came along, and, and that changed some, but it was still tough to get a Bible in your language, right? So maybe there is a Bible, but it's in Latin. I don't know how many people speak Latin. All right, so then you know, printing press, other stuff happens. Now we've got some English Bibles, but like 15% of the population can read. Only the privileged can read. So you still didn't really have a Bible. Just think about the if, if you need something to be thankful for, like if you're, if you're doing your Acts prayer thing and you get to the T and you're like, ah, what do I pray? What am I thankful for? Be thankful that you live in a time where you have complete access to the full counsel of the Scriptures and all these brilliant people who've studied it and can help you understand it better, just at your fingertips. Uh, quick plug, and I'm not getting paid for this, but maybe if it goes, you know, like this goes viral somehow, I will. But uh, if you've never heard of the Dwell app, I highly recommend it. It's audible. It's, um, it's the word. It, it's like an audiobook of the Bible. And I mean, they've got great programs for reading through like Proverbs in a month um, or reading through the New Testament in 90 days. And it just, it keeps up with it for you. It'll send you a reminder every day. I'll listen to this, um, this African dialect man, read it to me with like jazz piano in the background. It's fantastic. But what, what a better way to spend a long drive or I wouldn't really want to work out listening to it. Personal preference, maybe you would. Um, but like think of, think of the moments in a day when you could spend 10 or 15 minutes with just the word of God going into your brain. They even have one for falling to sleep where it's like passages to go to sleep to. I wouldn't go to sleep with earbuds in, but you know, maybe, maybe you younger folks, that wouldn't bother you. Um, Paul's writing to these believers in Thessalonica, which is modern-day Greece, huge city, capital of Macedonia, um, and they don't have a New Testament. He's writing about 20 years-ish after the ministry of Jesus has concluded, and what did they have? They had, they had people who were still eyewitness accounts who were around who could say, this is what Jesus did, this is what happened. Um, they had the apostles and their teaching and their you know, book of Acts going around teaching and preaching in the synagogues. They had the Old Testament. Paul had actually been to Thessalonica and visited and spent um, three Sabbaths there, is what Acts says, so three weeks. And then the Jews in town didn't like it, so they ran him out. A few months later, he sends Timothy back to find out how they're doing. And Timothy reports back to him. And the result of that report is this letter. So Paul gets Timothy's report and he pins this letter to the church. Much of this book is about the return of Christ. And it kind of comes to a head and the breaking news that would have come to these people um, comes in chapter 4. These people were convinced, as almost everybody in the early church was and all the apostles were, that Jesus was coming back really, really soon. For sure in their lifetime. For sure. Probably this year would have been their mindset. Um, if you could have like gone to an odds maker and, and put some money down on Christ's return, it would have been like overwhelming odds that he's coming back in two years. 
in five years would have been like, you couldn't get any money for that because it, it would have been such a huge odd. It was a stone cold lie that he was coming back. But what did they know about his return? They did not know a lot. I was very surprised in my study this week to see that the rapture, as we think about it, is only expressly mentioned by Jesus one time in the book of John. And really his return is only mentioned in one other gospel in Matthew 24. John 14 is the passage that that you'll be familiar with. In my house are many rooms. I go to prepare a place for you and I will come again and take you to myself. So that take you, that taking of his people, the rapture, that's the only time in scripture that it's referenced. So they're convinced he's coming back. They're expecting it eagerly. In fact, it's causing a lot of turmoil in their lives, as we'll get to in a minute. But they don't have a lot of information. In Matthew 24, Jesus said this, There will be a period of tribulation, and at the end of that, the Son of Man will come on the clouds of heaven with angels and a trumpet, which you heard in this this passage from Paul, to gather his elect. So that's not a rapture reference because it's not a taking. It's just a gathering. So it was really uncertain to these people exactly how Christ was going to return and what was going to happen. They do know this, though. They are experiencing intense tribulation in Macedonia. From the Jews, from the Romans, pretty much everybody doesn't like this new way, this new Christian thing that's going on. So they think of Matthew 24 and what the eyewitnesses have said. No, Jesus said... Jesus told us, guys, listen, there was going to be a period of tribulation, and then he would come back. So in their minds, they're like, man, this is it. This is the tribulation. This is the persecution he was talking about. Then a big problem came up in their faith and in their doctrine. People started dying. People that loved the Lord. Um, Many were persecuted Christians who were being executed, put to death. And their doctrine really had no room for this to happen. Uh, In their mind, Christ would return to save them from persecution. It was imminent. It was coming now. And they were grieved by this, and and they concluded that those who are dying, this is what they shared with Timothy, that then Timothy shared with Paul, those who are dying, there's no way for them to be a part of the coming kingdom. Christ can't come gather them. Christ can't come get them. They're dead. They're gone. So they just miss out on everything Jesus talked about, about coming back, the room, the the stuff that he's going to give us in eternity. They don't get to do that because they died before he came back. That was their understanding. And for people who have the full New Testament, we're like, oh, why why do they think that? That's nonsense. Jesus said, it doesn't matter if you do. This is where they learned that, man. Like this, this, this letter from Paul is the first time that this was revealed to them. In in Corinthians, he calls it a mystery, the mysteries that are being revealed to him. And not all of them will be revealed, but this one was. So the churches that received the letters that that make up the back half of our New Testament, they needed correction on a lot of doctrine. And that's a lot of what Paul does. He said, you believe this. I mean, listen, you got to do it this way. But they also needed like brand new information that wasn't in Christendom that didn't exist, that wasn't in the Gospels. They needed new information. So there wasn't an answer in Scripture, and Paul sends breaking news. So in light of their mindset, let's, let's just read through parts of this text again. 
And think about if you're them and you think, man, Cousin Joe got executed last week and he loved the Lord, but he'll never, he'll never taste the new kingdom. He'll never see Jesus on his return. Paul says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers. Why does he not want them to be uninformed? Because they're uninformed. They have no idea about the facts he's about to tell them. We don't want you to be uninformed about those who are asleep. Why? So you will not grieve as others do who have no hope. Man, it would be hopeless if if you died before Christ's return, you were just out. Well, we don't want you to grieve like that. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and even so, through Jesus, God will bring with them those who have fallen asleep. Oh man, what a, what a relief to have heard that for them. What a great encouragement to their soul. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. This was special revelation to Paul. This was the Spirit giving this information to Paul. This wasn't written anywhere else in the New Testament. This couldn't be found anywhere else. That we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, we will not precede those who have fallen asleep. We're not going first. For the Lord himself will descend, and here you hear Matthew 24 spoken again, cry of command, voice of an angel, sound of a trumpet, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, those of us who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. They were discouraged. Encourage one another with these words. Do you think they were encouraged? The ones who had died would indeed now be taking part in the new kingdom. They weren't lost to death. Those who they loved and had lost would always be with the Lord. What, what encouragement can the church in 2021 take from these words? We already know this, right? This isn't breaking news for us today. We're not going to go home and say, man, did you, did you hear that? Jesus is coming back and like the dead are, are going to rise first out of the grave and they'll meet their, their spiritual, their spirits will meet their new glorified bodies and our spirits will leave and we'll meet our new glorified bodies and then we'll all ascend together. Most of us probably have a decent understanding of that. We probably already know that. So what encouragement do we take from this? What encouragement comes to the church today from the return of Christ? Well, let's start with the same, the same that the Thessalonian church learned. Man, we've lost people we love, those who have died in Christ. It says that Christ will return and they will rise first and then they will be with him always. Grandparents. Man, I had, I had four awesome grandparents. My last grandparent died, I guess, four years ago now. Mary Carolyn was her name, and that's why our little girl is Mary Carolyn. Um, she was definitely the matriarch of my mom's side of the family. She taught Sunday school at First Baptist Satsuma for like 75 years, something insane. She has plaques everywhere. She's this frail little old lady with a super spitfire spunk about her. And these 30 and 25 and 40-year-old women are just constantly coming in her house. Constantly, Carolyn, Carolyn, let's talk, let's sit down. And she had so much influence on so many people. She's with the Lord. Parents, I haven't walked that path yet. But it's coming. 
friends, children, the pain of separation brought on by death is temporary. It's temporary for those of us who are in Christ. We really will see them again. We really will. We will really be present with the people we loved again forever. I, I even would go so far as to say like we had a, our first pregnancy ended in miscarriage. I, I think I'm going to meet that kid. I'm convinced of it. I'm convinced that that embryo, zygote, whatever science jargon you want to throw at me, and I'm a, I'm a science teacher, I know all the lingo, that child that was conceived was created by God, knit together in his mother's womb for eternity. I think I'm going to meet that kiddo. It could be kind of awkward because he'd be like, Dad, I'd be like, whoa, I don't know where you are. It's me, Johnny. I didn't name you Johnny. What are you talking about? Your name, anyway, sorry. Um, you know this doesn't end grief, right? Like, that thought is awesome, and we should dwell on that. We should think on it. We should let it ruminate in our brains. But it doesn't end grief. Uh, the fall is real. Death is real. Separation from those we love is real. But Paul said we grieve differently. We grieve differently because we have hope. He didn't say, we don't grieve because, man, they're going to be with Jesus. Everything's fine. He said we grieve differently because we have a hope. A hope that one day there's going to be a loud cry and a trumpet blast and our Jesus is going to be coming down and our loved ones are going to be going up. You know that passage in 1 Corinthians 15 that says, death wears your victory, death wears your sting? Little, little piece of advice from a few years in uh, ministry and life. That's not like a funeral passage, okay? Um, that, that passage, if you read the verse before that, Paul's talking about when we shed the mortal and put on the immortal. When we slough off sin and put on full life. He said, then the passage becomes true. Oh, death, where's your victory? Death, where's your sting? Where's death's victory and where's death's sting? Man, it's right here, right now. It's, it's here in the fall. That's where it lives. That's where it exists. One day it will be no more. But right now, man, it is... It is a sharp sting. It is a tough blow. What about your own death? How does the return and the hope of, of the return of Christ influence your own death? I'm not going to stay here long, but I don't want to read you um, a text from Hebrews 2. I think it may be helpful for you. It has been for me for a while now. I read it often. Turn there real quick if you have your Bible. Go to Hebrews 2. We're going to be in chapter, um, chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. This might be underlinable or highlighterable. The writer of Hebrews says this, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. It's enslaving to have a lifetime filled with a fear of death. Is it possible to be completely fearless about it? Man, I don't know. Because it's a weird thing that like I've never experienced before. And it's final. 
and really all comes to the point at that point. I don't know, but, but Jesus tells us in his word that we can be set free from the enslaving to the fear of death. You see people in movies, right? And they're like, you know, they're, they're at gunpoint or, you know, they're being threatened and they're just like ransoming everything they can. And I, they always say something like, I have kids at home. Or, I mean, I've always thought about like, if I'm, if I'm that guy, if I'm that guy right there, what am I saying? And I've got this, I've got a super like plan, just so you know. I've got a super plan. I'm just going to be, I'm just going to stand there and just be so bold and be like, man, you, you can't do nothing to me. I belong to Jesus. You can kill me all you want to, but you're just flesh and blown, man. I'm not scared of flesh and bone killing me. I'm scared, of, you know, that's best laid plans, by the way. When that, when that situation, if it ever really does happen, you know, P- Peter didn't ever think he'd deny Christ. He said he'd die for Jesus. And then literally like six hours later, he's like, I don't know who that guy is. Never heard of him. So you, you always think big in the moment. Um, but does the promise of Christ's return and that your ultimate resurrection change your outlook on your own death? I think sometimes we're pretty entitled, we're pretty entitled to long life. Like 42, for most people in history, that would have been a tremendous blessing, right? Somebody now, 42, like, if that's the end of your life, people would say you, you got cheated out of like your best years or something. That's up to the Lord. Let's talk about some fun stuff. Um, how about never, ever being sick? again. No COVID, man. No masks. No, every time you get a little fever, you're like, man, do I have to go let them tickle my brain with a Q-tip? Find out what's going on here? Um, that's gone. Cancer? Gone. Holoprosencephaly? Gone. Back pain? It's coming. This, this side of the room, I'm telling you. Back pain? Gone. Busted up knees from high school football, gone. None of that, man. With, with one trumpet blast and one cry from heaven, it's all perfect. It's all like it was created to be. Um, I don't know what all we're going to do in eternity, but Lee, you've got to get a new job, man. Like, your profession is absolutely worthless in the new kingdom. We don't need you. What about social injustice? What about um, the, the plague of racism? What about the needs of the poor? What about equity in education? I work at a great school. I go visit other schools. Man, they're not so great. Those kids don't have the advantage that the kids at the school I work at have. What about elections? Don't y'all love all these ads coming on all the time now? No, that's all done, man. It's all over. It's all gone. No more of that. You know, this is not an excuse for apathy or laziness. Paul talked about this earlier. There were a lot of people in the Thessalonian church, they were so convinced that Jesus was coming back now, they stopped working. They're like, well, I'm not planting seeds and harvesting and sweating out in the field. Jesus is coming back like in a month. What a waste of time that would be. So they stopped working. 
So Paul spends like several verses saying, you've got to work. You've got to do work with your hands. You've got to go to work. You're a burden on the church right now. Go to work. Because they had stopped. Same thing with all of this. We can't say, ah, racism's terrible. We're never going to solve it this side of the kingdom. <sighs> ah, what are you going to do? You know? That, that's not right. That may be true. Right? We're probably not ever going to perfectly solve it this side of eternity. I don't know that, I, I know the government can't. No chance. The church can do its best within our walls and, and with whatever we can do, but we can't ultimately change the hearts, minds, and behaviors of people who hate the Lord. It's probably still going to exist in some way, shape, or form. That's not an excuse. The scriptures tell us, keep working. Go to work, man. Go to work. Bring the kingdom here as best you can. The Lord's going to empower you. The Lord's going to teach you how to, how to love and teach others how to love. Go to work. Do the work of the kingdom here. But know this. Know that one day there's going to be a trumpet blast. And there's going to be your Savior coming down. And it's all going to be over anyway. All that strife. It's all gone. 2 Timothy 4.8, Paul says this. He says there's a crown. I think it's a physical crown. Like I think it's actually a reward. It's in 2 Timothy 4.8. He said, stored up for me is the crown of righteousness. But not only for me, but for all who have longed for the appearing of the Lord. Which I believe is all believers. Right? It's kind of what it's about. It's kind of what we hope for. So, there's actually, there's five crowns mentioned in the Bible. This is one of them. There's an actual crown you get for longing for the appearing of the Lord. What stressed you out this week? What's nagging at you? What's been even in the back of your thoughts as you've struggled to pay attention during a service? No alarm clocks, no notifications. Can you imagine a mind that is completely unmuddled? By worry, stress, anxiety, calendars, schedules, what do I have to do tomorrow? Not waking up in the middle of the night like, oh, okay, it's only three. I've got to get up at 5.15. All right, I'm just like, whew, over. Rest. Sabbath forever. And so much more. Man, honestly, the impact of living in the redeemed creation we, we really can't fathom the outcome. Most encouraging, most exciting, the best of all is that what Paul said in the text, that we will always be with the Lord. We will always be with the Lord on that day. So can we do this? Can we encourage each other with these words? Can we leave tonight and in our week as we talk with each other when we talk about death, sickness, social injustice, stress? Can we, can we encourage each other with the words that, you know, that's tough today. I get it. I'm here for you. I'm going to help you with it. You know what? There's a day coming. You won't have to deal with this anymore. This pain you're feeling, it's gone. That loved one you lost, you'll be with them again. And better yet, you'll be with the Lord, and so will they. Can we encourage each other with these words? Let's remind each other often that Jesus is coming back to gather his church. The living and the dead. 
as the Apostles' Creed says, I think our lives would be different. I think the way we interact with one another would be different. And I don't think it's just limited to the church. I think it's a great opportunity to share the gospel. I think it's a great opportunity when someone's walking through something tough to say, hey, you know I'm a Christian. You know I believe that one day this this pain you're going through, this hurt you're feeling, it won't exist anymore. Because the God who created all things didn't design it to be this way. Man has sinned and has created this, this world we live in but he sent a redeemer. He sent a rescuer. He sent someone to bear the full burden of our sin. And he hates death. But the consequence of the sin is death. But he hated it so much that he sent his son to take all of it. And he conquered it. He beat it. He rose again. I mean, I know it sounds crazy. Like, I know it sounds like something out of sci-fi, but this has changed my life. I've anchored everything I know and my hope of my eternal soul in this truth that Jesus is coming back. And when that day comes, all's made right again. Let's encourage each other with these words. Pray with me.